0: Recovery elevator episode four hundred and eight.
1: But it's but yeah, it's awesome to go through and really just like go through these lessons and 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 learn about why you know the, the, all the all the reasons that maybe we're doing these things or why I am where I am or why I can't control it. You know,
2: uh, like this. Yeah, that should work. Mix down. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yo yo. Mix down. Three, four, yo yo wiki wiki mix four, down there we go seven eight wiki mixed down
0: Ty's in the house <laughs> I love
2: it wiki mixed down there we go three four weeki, weeki. Weeki, weeki.
0: Welcome to the recovery elevator podcast my name is Paul Churchill and I am so excited to be here with you guys today listeners on today's podcast we have Brett he's 42 years old from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and took his last drink on September 17th, 2022. Great job, Brett! On January 1st, we have our 30-day intensive dry January course called Restore. 2023 is a new year, let's get it started right. We meet 14 times in January. Classes are Sundays at 1 p.m. Eastern, then Mondays and Thursdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. You're going to start and end this course with a cohort full of people just like you who have also reached the decision that alcohol has to go. All sessions are live and you can watch the recordings if you miss a session. This course is not 12-step based, but we do cover if AA is right for you as well as other recovery modalities. This course is $124, but if that's out of your price range, no problem. Email info at recoveryelevator.com and let us know what you can pay. Go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash restore. Link is in the show notes. Thank you, Robin. $28,094.73 has been donated thus far to nonprofits geared towards helping those affected by addiction. So 10% of our monthly Cafe RE income is donated to nonprofits. I am so proud of this number. Thank you to all of our Cafe RE members for being part of this number and being part of the community. Speaking of, I wanna say thank you to all of our Cafe Area chat hosts. You guys do an incredible job. Now, before we get any further, let's hear from a great sponsor, Exact Nature.
3: Exact Nature's safe and healthy CBD-based products are formulated to help you with the challenges of quitting drinking such as addictive cravings, depression, anxiety, and lack of sleep. If you're interested in learning more, Head on over to exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com.
0: Okay, let's get started. I finished last week's episode with the tagline, it's not a no to alcohol, but a yes to a better life. I do believe this fully, but at first let's get real it's a 100 a no to alcohol and sometimes you have to sit the party out live to see another day in fact with holiday parties coming up christmas new years a strategy that i recommend especially in the beginning is just to not go but for long-term success and sobriety we need to focus on the immense opportunities a life without alcohol presents and an overall theme of focusing on the good because there is so much good going around Yes, I've seen the news lately, and the world is far from perfect. There are almost 8 billion people on the planet, and of course, some of them will become famous while being idiots. But we do need to be careful of where we let the brain wander. Now, do statements like this sound familiar? I'll be happy after COVID. Did that come true? I'll find my peace after Russia stops being a goddamn mother, a**, a piece of fuck nut to Ukraine. You can spend a lifetime ruminating over issues that are not taking place in your house or your side of the street or your side of the dirt road as Chris Olian says in North Dakota. Overall, I'm going to venture to say things are fine. At the fundamental level, I want you to ask yourself, are you doing okay? Are you in danger? For most of us, we're not in immediate danger and we are okay. On top of that, there are wonderful things happening. We have been given a true gift of abundance from people who gave us their all in the past for us to have a better life today. I went to Costco the other day and you can buy bulk dragon fruit with no artificial flavors. So step aside fresh squeezed orange juice because dragon fruit picked less than 12 days ago from the jungles of Indonesia is in the house and it is absolutely delicious. So listeners, I think the best way to focus on the good is to come at everything from a position of gratitude. And here is what I mean. Let's talk suffering. Yes, it's part of the game. There's no way around it. I've looked and I've tried. The Buddha would also agree. But within this suffering exists something good. And there is always something to be thankful for. If you're sober, recently quit drinking, or trying to string your first couple alcohol-free days together, we all have something in common an intense amount of suffering has taken place. So the next time you're suffering, having a rough day, or beating yourself up for taking that drink, say, thank you for allowing me to suffer in comfort. If you're listening to this episode, it's safe to say you have internet, which also means you could have a hot meal to your door in less than 20 minutes, most likely. You're probably suffering in a room that's not under 66 degrees and not over 85 degrees Fahrenheit. If your suffering is tied to hunger, most likely you're not far from a food option and you have enough money for a meal. So yes, suffering exists and is real, but it could be way worse. Again, so many have sacrificed themselves in the past so we could be in comfort today. As I get to know myself more on this journey, I'm recognizing my personality makeup is more of that of an artist, Contemporaneous with that are the intense peaks and valleys of emotions. Even in sobriety, I've had rough days where the clock doesn't seem to move. In fact, I think this is normal for all human beings. I'm positive it is. I've realized that these are the times when we need to implement a new perspective. It's on these super challenging days where recovery work is so important. These are the times when we have to write a new script. So on my bad days, I say, thank you for letting me suffer in comfort. I've yet to have a bad day where I'm outside in the cold, or my stomach was rumbling. If that was the case, I'd use this same practice. I'm sure I'd be able to find something good, such as a bird singing or the sun shining. Odette sends out our Recovery Elevator bi-monthly newsletter. I recommend subscribing to it. You can do it on the homepage of recoveryelevator.com. Along with our upcoming events, she includes 300-500 words on recovery, and she had a great line earlier this year where she said to watch your thoughts. And if a thought isn't in line with your new alcohol-free life, then let it go. Author Jay Shetty, in his book, Think Like a Monk, classifies thoughts as a seed or a weed. If it's a weed, let it go. If it's a seed, water it and let it grow. Focusing on the good. The science around manifestation, mostly quantum science, is fascinating. Manifestation is basically the mental component of the golden rule, which is treat others the way you want to be treated. If you treat others with respect, you will find yourself living in a world where others treat you with respect. With your mind, it's the same thing. If you are working towards focusing on the good, and this is a practice that is done in your mind, then eventually your outer reality will match up. I think the pinnacle of this is gratitude, or being thankful for everything. I think the return of gratitude, in terms of the golden rule as what will come your way, is love and joy when this is practiced. Listeners, I'm a fan of AA. When I first quit drinking, I went to three to five meetings a week, sometimes twice in the day at the beginning, and now I go about two to three times per month. One thing I'm not too big on in AA is the character defects. Yes, let me be clear, it's a good idea to be aware of where we are lacking and where we could have done better in the day, but I feel it's a better use of our time to focus on the good or what we excel at. If we get stuck in our weaknesses, it's gonna be hard to let the positive personality traits thrive and authenticity is at the top of that list. It's hard to be authentic when we get stuck ruminating over past behavior or focusing on our character defects. My advice, yes, be aware of character defects and make an intention to correct it. And sometimes this is an actual amends, But let the past die hard and fast. Again, listeners, there is so much good surrounding you at all times. And this is the seed that I'm trying to plant with you guys today. But you need to ask yourself, what are you choosing to see? And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Brett.
3: When we begin this journey of healing and sobriety, questions come up constantly and not knowing is a very hard place to be. For me... Being in the unknown is a real challenge. I wanna know the answers. I want to know what will happen. I wanna know. Wouldn't it be nice to have a manual? I know it would. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills. They basically assist in creating your own personalized manual, your tool belt. BetterHelp has connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists. It's convenient and accessible anywhere. 100% 100% online, plus it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a the therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com elevator. That's betterhelp.com help, slash elevator.
2: Thank you Paul. In recovery elevator, please help me welcome Brett. Brett, how are you doing today?
1: Hey Chris, I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. How are you?
2: I'm doing well, man. It's cold. It's cold up here, but that's my life for 6 months. You doing have <laughs> you're in an opposite situation. Otherwise, I'm doing well. Brett, can you tell listeners how long you've been sober?
1: Yeah, I'm right uh right in between like my ninth and 10th week. It's been about I don't know, I think 60, I think 66 days was my calculator this morning, my my sober calculator. So
2: Nice job, man. 66 days is amazing. How are you feeling?
1: I'm feeling pretty good. Um I like to use uh, the word cautiously I'm optimistic. I am feeling feeling good, but I'm worried about, you know, uh, you know, worried about uh any anything, I don't know. <laughs> I
2: I feel you, man. I think there's that we have those uh dare I say like pink cloud moments where 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 things are good and that's good and I think uh, I think it's important to embrace those as they come and use that as fuel for you know there there might be a, some struggles down the road and that's and that's okay that's just life right yeah I like to think of though these these like positive moments even in an early sobriety as, as fuel for for something that could show up down the road so anyway nice job Brett Good job, dude. Before we get into it, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, where you're from? What you do for a living? Age? Married? And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun?
1: Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I'm 42 years old. I was born and raised in a small town about an hour south of Salt Lake City, um, a town called Payson, Utah. Um, if you ever saw Footloose, we're famous for that. You know, we were. It was that was still in my hometown, my high school. Uh, that you know, car wash scene, all that stuff was, you know, the church was all from Payson, Utah, but uh <laughs> but uh I grew up in, uh, there and um I moved to uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where I am now for the last 20 years. I am married to my husband, Scott. Uh we've been married for seven years once it became once it became legal here. Uh, but we've been together for 17 and we have uh two golden doodle baby boys, uh, they're three years old, Abraham and Ernest, and a 17-year-old cat. Uh, Tasha 13 excuse me anyway that's that's the family and travel I like to cook I like to uh, garden and I'm a property appraiser for work
2: right on I love (laughs) I love your dog's names there's something about I don't know I like I like dogs that have kind of like human sounding names
1: yeah yeah
2: anyway (laughs) (laughs) all right Brett let's get into it man we're here to talk about crusty dusty alcohol and and how it got us to to today so let's let's start at the beginning let's talk about your early relationship with exposure to alcohol and and kind of walk ourselves forward uh, up until up until the moment we're in now
1: okay so I, I, I think um, when I was growing up, um, growing up uh, in a small town in uh, Utah, uh, I, was, I was raised Mormon like most of Utah is. And I, uh, my parents got divorced when I was one. Uh, so it was I was raised by like a single mom with uh, two older sisters. Um, we're all three years apart. I was uh, the youngest. And so, you know, growing up, uh, there was never any alcohol in the house because it was just against the church. Um, so there, w- it wasn't even there. And with my, my friends and everything through high school, I was a good kid never had even a, never thought about drinking really. It was never even just, it was never around, you know? So my sisters did a little bit of uh, dabbling when they were rebelling when they're teenagers. But I remember my mom packing me up multiple times, you know, and having to track them down because back and go into the party and drag them out of the house, you know, and then go home (laughs) and, uh, you know, it'd be this big thing. And, and and I was such a mama's boy. I was, uh, I, I was the youngest and the only boy and, I hated to see my mom in pain like that, so I was like, "I am not, I am not going to be the source of that pain." So I'm not drinking. It just wasn't part of the equation at all. So that was in Utah, but but then I, you know, I also growing up, I, I being gay, it was also wrong. So it was, I had a struggle, and I'm just learning this now. Not to fast forward too much, but it, but I'm learning this in recovery and in my from my ILP and whatnot that that there's these that maybe there is some something related to alcohol and all these um, experiences I had growing up because I felt very alone and different I mean I didn't uh, I couldn't be gay I was told I can't be it's wrong so I spent a lot of time in my room alone and you know listening to some heavy metal music to just get out my anger because I was angry at the world and I would pay my tithing and read the scriptures and I and I'd try and pray the gay way. It just did just didn't work, you know. So I just kind of hid all that forever for my my whole childhood. And anyway, then I moved to uh, I got I moved to Salt Lake and started going to college. At that point, I started uh, meeting new people and uh you know there was like maybe four or five bars in Salt Lake that that weren't even gay all the time, but maybe had a had a gay and one night a week they were gay and then a couple others that were all the time. But that's where I started going out and meeting people. And I, it just was like this. Wow. Like there's, there's people like me, you know, cause this is, uh, I mean, this was like when AOL days, you know, this was like in the 99s when I graduated. So it was like, there was barely even the cell phone, you know, there was no, there was nothing. So to connect with someone like myself was, that was how we did it. You know, it wasn't even, wasn't even, um, you know, it, like nowadays, you know, it's not a big deal. Everyone knows a gay person or a lesbian or a trans person or you know, they know someone or someone in their family, or it's not, just not even the, the deal. It's not even a thing anymore. And it, but it was back then. And so for me to connect with people, it meant going to a bar. And uh, so that involved alcohol, of course. And, but I felt so welcomed. And uh, I felt like, God, yeah, I felt part of something for once, you know, and I felt uh, just like, wow, I found my calling. These are my people. This is my tribe. I'm happy. I'm working this. And I was, yeah, I was high on life. Everything was great.
2: Yeah, I gotta believe that it, IOP was was good for me in that in that sense too. That there's there's so many things about my childhood that I had just considered to be oh like this is normal and this is just you know whatever this is what I had to deal with and it was fine. But listening to you talk about your experience, I've got to believe that was just in, incredibly isolating to to just feel like like you're the only person who's like you or or has the feelings that you have or you're you know you're in it by yourself and then to, to be able to find people who related to your experience. And it, it just so happens to be, you know, at that time in your life in an environment that's, that has this, you know, this thing also alcohol that kind of can, can be a a dangerous road, but I bet there was some probably like good times too. Like just like a a sense of freedom there just to be able to feel like you could be yourself and be open as well.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, that, that was it. I mean, I, I, uh, So I I had moved into a a house and it was like like it was like when real world MTV was like huge. It had just come out. And I I felt like we were we we called ourselves the real world Salt Lake because we had moved. We had rented a a house right below the University of Utah. And there was instead of usually there was always like, you know, I already was straight, and there was one gay person they threw in there. It was the opposite. We had six gay guys and one straight girl, and this house was like a huge house right below the university that had you know a couple of kitchens. There was like six baths, six bedrooms, and four baths, and we and so between the like the seven of us, we knew all of Salt Lake, and so we were like known as the party house, and people would just come and go kind of as they please. And we would always have parties and it was always just a big, you know, alcohol fest and you know, I'd get up and go to go to class and it wouldn't be rare to have people pass out on the floor and then they, you know, on the couches or whatever. And it was just normal. But, but I was, yeah, I was super happy. And like, like you said, I, I had, I was having the best time of my life as far as I, as far as I knew.
2: Like just able to like do your thing and, and kind of have some of that fear gone.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Was at that time, do you think that your, that your usage was, I don't know. I, I struggle to talk about like normal usage and non-normal usage and it, and was it appropriate or not? And I don't know. I hate the labels, but do you, do you feel like at that, at that, at that point in your life, was it, was it problematic? Was it kind of on par with what your peers were doing? Did you notice any differences between the way you drank and others drank?
1: so no not not at that point i uh i I, it was on par with everybody else i mean everybody was doing what i was doing it didn't uh impact my school or or work i mean i still held down everything got good grades so to me it was it wasn't a problem it was it was absolutely normal you know yeah just
2: kind of that capricious youth that's that stage in life is what we do well uh let's let's walk forward after real world salt lake what happened next (laughs)
1: So, so then I, I was twenty, twenty three, and I moved to, a, I had a job opportunity uh, to come to Fort Lauderdale. So I came down here and, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was Salt Lake on steroids. You know, it was like, there's bars everywhere and there's, there's, uh, you know, there's um, uh, even on one strip here, there's like the entertainment district for the, for the gay community here where there's like 20 something bars and just like a little six seven eight block strip you know and not only are they like open till six in the morning or even open at like eight or nine in the morning because they serve breakfast so they can get away with you know <laughs> being serving alcohol all day but uh and you know utah last calls it one in the morning everybody has to be out by two here it's like yeah you can go from eight in the morning to six in the morning if you really want to you know it's pretty much 24 hours and not that i did that right away but i it, it normalized it normalized drinking for me and alcohol you know and and also the tourists you know everybody's here to have a good time so everyone's here drinking because a lot of times drinking unfortunately is if that's what we, we relate to a good time is yeah, partying you know and Fort Lauderdale is known for that they, the nickname is Fort Liquerdale, you know so <laughs> they everyone just <laughs> and it's cheap it's cheap every the, the you know buy one get it's just it's a recipe for disaster for someone with a, with a problem but but when I first moved here it, it wasn't a problem it was the same it, it was uh what I did and I was able to hold down, even I got, I was working three jobs at a time uh, at one point and, you know, and I was started meeting new people here and I was just like, wow, I had all my friends in Salt Lake. I had now friends here and I, had people coming in and out that, you know, didn't live here. And I was like, ah, I have friends everywhere. I had invitations to go anywhere, you know, and stay. So it was, it was awesome. And I was surrounding myself with, there was people that were, you know, there's doctors and lawyers and business owners and, you know, all these people are super successful and I'm in my early twenties and thinking like, it's just like, this is it. This is how you do it. You know, you go out, you drink, you meet people, you be successful.
2: This is it. <laughs> so, yeah, like what could go wrong? You're working multiple jobs, doing your thing, other successful people in and around you. And then, and I love what you said about, about like the hours of operation for these places, it, it normalizes it. And even if there's, we've got a, we've got this strange way that we can get over that sticker shock of, things relatively quickly and it's a, how, how could this be a problem because this is what everybody's doing or that you know that's that's our view it's it, it it things do become normalized and our our standards or what we perceive as acceptable can most definitely fluctuate yeah
1: yeah and i, and I think also moving away from home i didn't have the family i didn't have the interaction of anyone other than my friends uh, or my, or my, whoever I was dating at the time. And I mean, you know, so uh, it didn't, I didn't have the consequences of anyone knowing anything. You know, it was everything was out in the open and all I had to do was make a call back home and no one, you, know, you can't tell I'm drunk over the phone. I mean, you can sometimes, but uh, it was easy and normal.
2: Yeah. Um, okay. So that was early 20s and you kind of slid into your scene once you get to Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's keep walking it forward.
1: Yes. So, so that, that kind of continued for a while, um, all that stuff, but you know, um, so then I'm, mean, you know, in my thirties and my mid thirties is like when things started to slow down a little bit, you know, we started being the people cause we go out fair regularly, at least on weekends. And, um, you know, a lot of the, there's also a party scene beyond the drinking, you know? And, and so there was some, some of that a little bit and like, but not really. And, and, but we reached a point where, uh, you know, i'm 35 my husband's about, he's like eight years older than me so you know we were just reaching the point of like yeah we're old we're old and tired yeah and, uh, you, you can only keep it up so long you know so we just kind of reached we re- it re- a little bit we, we didn't go out as much and we would go out just on the weekends but we would be in you know we'd, we'd bring it in be home by like midnight or so and plus we had responsibilities we had um my my uh, mother-in-law living with us for a while um when she was kind of in her last few years of of life so we were we had responsibilities with her and then the dogs and so there was reasons to just be home so then the drinking became a little bit more like do it at home it's easier we can be here and watch you know my mother-in-law and the dogs we can drink here so that kind of started to happen on a regular basis
2: I think that's a a, a progression too that that a lot of us see as we as we become more domestic with with our with our partners or or kids or pets or you know you had taking care of a parent yeah i think i think that's a normal a normal role that uh that a lot of people go through and for some people it's you know like for my wife after we had kids she just basically turned it off i mean she was she would still drink a little bit for me when we shifted from like going out and partying to coming home i was still drinking the same but i was doing it by myself. And, and I, that for me, that's when I started to hide because my wife had turned it off. It was weird for me to keep drinking the way that I was. If we were, you know, if we were in a party, quote unquote, party environment, not a big deal because we're celebrating, right? But if we're like cooking tacos on a Tuesday at the house, like, why are you on beer number six and the meat still isn't browned yet? <laughs> anyway, as you, you and your husband shifted from that uh, going out to to staying in more, How did that, were you able to, to taper that off originally, or were you doing similar types of things with, with hiding or, or yeah. How, how was the dynamic at home?
1: So yeah, Chris, I, I'm a, I'm a hider also. And, uh, it, you know, I, I would, I can justify the hell out of anything, especially if I want it, you know? And and I, so, I mean, I could, I would be like, oh, I, you know, we all use that talk to ourselves or, uh, you know, that we deserve it. And we had a hard day, we're stressed and, you know, all those things are valid, you know, but, uh, but it's, it's how we react to those things. And uh, my reaction was, well, oh, let's just grab a drink and take the edge off. But um, what, what started happening is, you know, as I look back, it was, um, you know, we, we drink martinis. That was kind of our thing, you know? And, and so I also was always the bartender and I was like, would like to make, you know, stuff the olives. And so I'd, I'd get creative and, you know, roll the blue cheese and like some, some ghost pepper and stuff them, you know, and make some like just some awesome martinis. But that was my way of like, you know, I would send uh, Scott a um, like a emoji, you know, the martini glass question mark, you know, when he's on his, he'd text me, I'm heading out, you know, and I'd do a martini glass question mark, he'd say yes, and know, I'd have it ready when he got home. So that started happening and then I would start drinking before, you know, I'd overpour a little bit. He'd drink half of his, maybe kind of like your wife, he didn't really, wasn't really a drinker. So he knew that I liked to, so he'd drink half and say, okay, you can have the rest. And, you know, so I would probably have two or three and by the time the night was over.
2: It's, isn't it crazy? Like how slippery that slope is start like starting with a, with like a heavy pour or or maybe a little t- a little taste. Let me just get a little taste before before we get started. And then yeah. it's man, it's just it really is perverse the way that it it, it starts out. So, I don't it, it feels so innocent, right? Yeah. And, and then what it what it turns into is just this the you know, it's it's lies. It's lies and deception and it's it's messed up. Did your husband did he have any concerns or or did, you know, did he ever have any, any comments or, or feedback uh, on your usage?
1: Yeah. yeah so, so uh, he's a, he's a nurse, he's a liver transplant coordinator at the time. Oh, so wow. uh, that's convenient. So, yeah. So, um, you know, he would o- often, you know, would, would warn me of that and be like, you know, look, he's like, you don't want, you want to be one of my patients. You know, he's like, you know, I see this every day and he's like, you are drinking too much, you know? And, and so we had these little, you know, like rules of like, okay, we yeah, don't drink alone. That's kind of obvious, but it's much easier said than done, you know. And and I would rationalize, well, I, I'm home, you know. I, I I and I was here with his mom a lot more than he was see what he worked further from home. I worked close to home, so I was I just used it that as an excuse to, to 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 drink before or after. But you know, he has the nose of like I, like a dog. I mean, he could okay. smell it on my breath. I would cover it up with onions or what I would try with whatever, and he'd be like. You've been drinking. And I, I I would lie and say no. And he knew, you know, and even half time he never called me out. So yeah, there was multiple times where he tried to check me on that, but it would last a week, maybe, maybe.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so. But this vis- I've got this visual, Brett. Have you eaten an onion like an apple or something? Just like, Dude, okay. I, <laughs> Your, <I> was, your <laughs> husband being like, Man, Scott, uh, Brett's really taken a liking to these onions lately maybe <laughs> air, heirloom or-
1: they don't they don't work if anyone's trying that it doesn't work it doesn't work
2: <laughs> oh man well all right uh so we've tried onions that doesn't work i yeah i feel you i i would do similar similar things i would grab you know a, a bag of chips or something and then one piece of gum probably ain't gonna do it but eight will or like, let me gargle, uh, you know, I kept mouthwash my vehicle, All like all these things. And again, in, in our mind at the time, it's just like, uh, yeah, it, it's fine. It's just, it's fine. It's not a problem. And I just don't want them to worry about it. Or I just don't, Today is not the day that I need to hear their shit. So like, I'm just gonna, it's okay. But, yeah. um, like one of the one of the thing that, one of the things that was hard for me, like going through treatment and just kind of, you know, working a recovery program is, is looking at these things and calling it what it is. It's, it, it is lies and it is deception. And it's, and it's, it's like, it's okay. Like, not that it's okay that it happened. There's nothing we can do about it now, but it's, it creates separation between us and the people that we care about.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so what? What really? So I mean, just to kind of uh, get us to where where I really am today, I, you know, and I'm new enough in this that you know, coming in, I was like, I, I I'm still trying to discover what really led to to where I'm at, you know, and because I've always uh, felt that I'm stronger than you know, I can do this, you know, and and my uh, have I had addictions problems in the family, but we didn't talk about it really, but I know that you know, I had I, 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 it runs in my family, and my, I was around a, a lot of addiction, so I definitely didn't want to be that. Again, going back to my being a mama's boy and the whole thing, I I didn't want to be a source of any problem, but I didn't think I I was going to be. And what happened is, um, you know, COVID hit. And and I don't want to blame the Mormon church and I don't want to blame being gay and I don't want to blame COVID because no one forced me to to drink. You know, I picked up the bottle myself and I used that to cope. But, uh, and I'm like I said, with my IOP and with even the Cafe RE, I'm, I'm learning about stuff that I've hid for so long and that I haven't discussed. And, you know, I've had therapy throughout growing up and you know a psychiatrist and I, I i've done lots of stuff but i've never really i don't think dug deep enough until till these last 65 or so days of, of, of being sober and as i'm going through classes i'm i'm having these moments where i'm like shit like, wow like was i really did that, that really affected me you know and i need to deal with that and and um just barely getting to that you know that onion peel i'm barely getting to the surface of what maybe really i need to i, I definitely need to deal with but but back to kind of where, where i'm at and how i got here was that it was like so Covid, Covid hit we had just got the dogs about they were about two months old and then it was like the work from home thing. so started working from home and i was trying to housebreak you know housebreak two dogs and then i was also we, start, we had some construction in the pipeline so all of a sudden they started working and so i'm working with the you know, pounding and the sawing and the hammering and then the dogs house and so i was just stressed out and then also learning to work from home it's like you have to be you have to have some motivation you have to have some discipline and you know i had that but it was also i was learning it in this crazy environment where i just definitely used alcohol to numb out. I was like, I don't want to be stressed. I don't want to feel like this. And, and I had this loss of like, of community again, and of like myself. And I feel like, like, I, again, I'm looking back and I'm trying to think, oh, I think I'm feeling, or I was feeling what I felt growing up. I felt like, you know, all of a sudden I'm stuck home like everybody else. And that's why I'm not you know saying I'm any different, but I, I all of a sudden lost these people that made me feel so good and this community that made me feel welcomed and loved and part of something and now now i'm just alone again like i was when i was growing up i think alcohol was it was my best friend it was like it was always there i didn't care if i had a good day bad day in fact it welcomed me you know It's said it it was made me feel good
2: yeah dude i just like when you said that it that you felt like you did when you were a kid uh again that aloneness like it just like it gave me goosebumps because yeah you know at the beginning of what you were just saying I like I'm working from home and like that in and of itself is like okay that's a shift but it it seems like a long time ago but man early COVID was it was b- bananas it was completely nuts and we were like we were terrified just as as a population like even up here in like little North Dakota where we're just like, ah, it's probably just a cold. Like people were still scared. People were still scared. I felt that. So I, I, anyway, I just, I say all that just to, to, to help paint that picture of, yeah, what that isolation must've been. And I'm, I'm reading this book now tribe by, uh, hopefully I don't butcher his name, Sebastian younger. And he, he's talking a lot about a lot of what he talks about is like military people coming home from conflict and, like seeking that community but it, it, i think it i think it transcends just just that i think people people in general yeah. are are looking for we want to belong and when something like a pandemic comes along and just jerks that away from you it's that's hard, it's yeah. hard. i mean especially if we already have maybe somewhat of a, uh, a a relationship with alcohol that that isn't exactly where we would want it to be and then now there's this huge ball of shit that gets thrown at us is called a, a pandemic and just having to re- change the way we do life. Um, yeah, yeah. And then man, Brett, thanks for the, that relation back to how you felt as a child. And that's, that had to be tough.
1: Again, I, I honestly, I just realized that and it was in my ILP. I was speaking to to someone I we were you know, having a discussion in, and I was just talking, like just going on about my story. And I'm like, it just clicked in my head and I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, wow. I'm like, I, and I came home, I told my husband, I'm like, you know, I, I think there's some stuff here that I need to unpack, you know? And I, anyway, yeah, it's just something that I literally about maybe two weeks ago discovered and thought of and came up and I'm anxious, I'm, you know, a little bit. It's a, I feel like there's a, this door now that's open that I'm like excited to like explore because I need to fix or I need to, but I'm like, what am I going to discover? You know, what else? Yeah, and I get
2: a here. It's a little bit of a line witch in the wardrobe situation.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That's
2: what it's, sobriety is just like Narnia. You never, know. you never know. For for what it's worth, Brett, I think it's I think it's really cool, and I'm glad that you're I'm glad that you're finding some some revelation here. And and I remember that uh, I remember that too. And, and 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 these things still happen. You know, I've got a little bit of time under my belt, and I and I still have these epiphanies from time to time. But it's. I think it's really cool those those early days when we're when we have something like an IOP for for me it was IOP it sounds like it's IOP for you too I don't I don't want to say that that's the only way that people can experience these types of things because there's there's multiple different ways so but it's these kind of constant revelations it, it's it's neat and it's I think it's I don't know is is fun. The right word. It's. It seems like it shouldn't be, but I don't know. It, it is kind of fun to like to be able to connect some of these dots and associate behaviors with things that might have happened, or to discover where some of these coping mechanisms may have come from. Right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I uh, you know, I went into IOP um, at my at, at my husband's and my. Well, so I mean, I didn't really get to the whole thing, but how I how I, how discovery happened as far as me getting into recovery. So I guess real quick to do that, I mean, I started hiding bottles, right? So I started hiding bottles in every room, basically, because, uh, you know, and I would hide them. So, so that way, you know, because our, our liquor cabinet was well stocked and it's like, you know, in the living room where the TV was. So that's where Scott was, you know, so I couldn't really make an extra drink if, you know, and I, he was always kind of watching me like, like we said in the past. So I started hiding bottles and um, that way, if he was in the bathroom, I could go to the kitchen and grab one or go to the bathroom and, Go to the closet or whatever and, and drink whatever and that's what happened and and so i started hiding bottles forgetting even where i put them you know or they were even there um I, I came home from work one day and i came home to uh like three you know the handle the big one you know three big bottles of alcohol sitting out and a couple of beers that were just sitting on the counter and they were empty right so i'm like hey he found my stash right yeah so that's that's what happened. And so I put my bag, I I put my bag down. I went in the room and I'm like, guess me to talk, you know? And he's like, yeah, yeah, let's talk, you know? So that's how that happened. And we started talking and uh, I just, you know, there's something about, I I was, there was this relief that that came over me because I I needed, and I told him, I told him to this day, I'm like, I could never have came to you and sat down and said, look, I, I have an alcohol problem. I could never have admitted that to him. And I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm still trying to find an answer to that too. Because I mean, this is the person that you know. We're supposed to have this open communication and trust, and and I couldn't do that because I, I kind of think that I was doing this. I knew it was out of control. I knew I was way out of control, and that I had a problem. But I still thought I'm just doing this for now to get through this, yeah. to get through the phase. You know, to help me through for whatever however long but it's not going to be something that i need to recover from.
2: yeah
1: you know it was this mixed emotions uh, feeling but um just to make it not so long and drug out uh the next day i went and saw my primary care provider and uh told her what was going on and you know she, she did some blood tests just uh, for liver enzymes and stuff and then mentioned the ilp and of course scott had already done that because he works for the hospital so he sent me the information called them and Got, got in the next the first day I could for the uh, uh, the intake and started the next day. So I mean I was like one week after I uh, the 18th I started ILP and supposed to be my last day. It's supposed to graduate today when I go down after after this. So we'll see. But then I'm like, what now? You know, Cafe Re's been been great and ILP has been awesome. Um, But like you say, it's been it was it's been something that I voluntarily went to because I know I needed help, but I didn't. You know, I wouldn't have done it without being discovered, so to speak, I guess, but it's, but yeah, it's awesome to go through and really just like go through these lessons and, and, and learn about why, you know, all the, all the reasons that maybe we're doing these things or why I am where I am or why I can't control it, you know?
2: Yeah. Have you, well, congrats. You'll have to keep me posted if, if today ends up being graduation day. I loved it, man. I really did. I loved IOP and I don't know. it's, I, it's, it's a cool, it's a cool environment. I think an environment full of people in recovery and pursuing recovery a lot of times for, for vastly different reasons among, amongst the group, <laughs> you know, different people, different things get different people there, but yes. I, I guess it's a cool space. I think it's, it's a, a cool thing that, that a, a person can jump into. Have you dipped into, you know, you mentioned that you're in, in cafe re, uh, as well. Have you dipped into any other sorts of recovery programs or, or or tried other things out either in your area or online?
1: No. So, I mean, so back when there was a time where I had tried to recover, or I tried to quit, um, there was a time where I was drinking too much. And as Scott had mentioned something as well, I'm like, okay, I, I needed an action plan. Like, you know, he's like, you got to figure something out. So I'm like, okay, so this is probably two years ago and I'm like, I'll go to AA. So I went to an AA class and, sat in the parking lot and was like, so nervous I couldn't go in. So I left, you know, (laughs) went went back and I, um, so I went in and, you know, it's going, so I went in and it was, um, I guess, I've never been to another one since to this day, but I guess it was a fairly large one. There was probably sixty or so, maybe more people, and it was in my community, so there was all it was. It was a gay meeting as well. So, I, and I work at a coffee shop on part time, so I knew a lot of the faces. I recognized them, if not know knew the people. So it was comfortable, but yet like holy shit, there were so many people I knew. But then it was like. Uh, now I'm, now I'm discovered, you know, they're going to be like, oh, he's got a problem. You know, when they come and order coffee, they're going to be like, oh, that, you know, he was in my, my meeting, you know, <laughs> or I know it's supposed to be anonymous, but I'm like, I don't know these things. I was my, I was new, but, um, anyway. And so I tried that. I got approached by someone to be my sponsor, like the day of, and I didn't, didn't know I could say no. And this guy was like, wanted me to start right away and, and do all these things. And I'm just like, I, I'm, I, eventually I just kind of said, I'm not ready. And I just never went back to AA, you know? But ILP has, they, they have suggested we do that. But I was, I did the uh, the uh, mindfulness course with Cafe RE and the photography course. And, and then I was also doing Cafe RE, like five or six chats or more a week on top of ILP and then working. So my last eight weeks, Chris, have been like, non-stop recovery stuff. So I haven't even had the opportunity to look <laughs> elsewhere, but but now that the mindfulness course is over and the photography is over uh, and IOP is coming to an end, I, I am looking at doing the aftercare. I, I think, did you do an aftercare? Did yeah. I-
2: yeah. I did like, ah, gosh, I started to do AA. I think they wanted me to do six months of it, but I, I started to hit up. Uh, I started to go to AA. So they, they kind of said, Hey, if you want to cut loose early, I would, I had found other support besides aftercare. So I cut my aftercare a little short, yeah. but it, but it was good. It was, it was, it was a, it was a transition, you know, kind of a yeah. A and that's top, what I- full tilt into a tapered down version. And it, that also freed up my time to find support beyond the treatment center. Right. Right. So yeah, it was a good, it was a good segue. It was a good transitional thing just to keep some of that accountability in place. But also, like I said, give me, you know, cause the intensive part of IOP is, it is, it's, it's very, it's a yeah. huge commitment and it's hard to do other stuff when you're doing that. But aftercare allowed me to like check out some meetings and, and figure out like, all right, well, going to be my home and what is my recovery plan going to look like
1: moving yeah. forward. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I mean. And that's what I'm, you know, that's what I feel like I'm going to go ahead and do the aftercare probably. And then, then, you know, Stick with Cafe RE for sure, because it's been, it's been that community that I lost when I, during COVID and that I was my community of drinking only by myself, home alone, you know, drinking <laughs> that community I, I have found with Cafe RE and, and, uh, you know, just getting on. I mean, I, I'm so grateful that I found it. Honestly, I know this, this is not a plug for it, but I mean, saying I have I've been, so I've been like, it has given me, uh, it's, it's been, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm so happy now. Like I really feel, uh, happy again. Like I feel accepted again. It's, it's awesome. I I feel good.
2: I love it, man. I love it. And that's, I think that's just a testament to, to what recovery can do. It can, it can give us some freedom. It can, it can, man, uh, oh, I'm going to bum myself out using a bunch of stupid cliches, but like it can, it can break those chains of addiction and those shackles are removed. Um, I'm not going to preach or sing so with (laughs) i I disagree man this time has flown by and we are at the rapid fire round are you ready in 30 to 60 seconds can you answer these questions i'll do it all right uh what was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking
1: uh my biggest fear was I really can't have another drink like am I I can't I I I, I questioned that I guess failure
2: yeah and that I think that that finality that forever yeah. like it's tough that, that is a tough question to ask what is a positive that you didn't expect in your life without alcohol
1: the positive is just waking up and looking at my phone and not having to worry about going back into my messages and seeing who i text and what time and what it said yeah because you can't you can't say you butt out someone at two or three in the morning because you you shouldn't have your pocket your phone in your pocket in the morning on a tuesday night you know so <laughs> yeah that's yeah
2: yep that pesky anxiety <laughs> what is your go-to alcohol-free drink
1: uh sparkling la croix
2: yeah buddy i was gonna say i don't want listen i don't want to try to influence anyone but there is a right answer and that is it uh what is your favorite resource in recovery it could be a, a book an app uh, a program
1: uh i'd love ILP, but yeah uh, i cafe already I'm,
2: they're they're both awesome nice uh in regards to sobriety what's the best advice that you've received so far
1: Uh, That was a quote, I I think it's been around for a while, but uh, I can either give up drinking and get to keep everything, or I can give up everything and keep drinking, I believe is how it is.
2: Yeah, that's a good one, brother. Uh, And last, but certainly not least, Brett, can you give listeners your favorite, you might need to ditch the booze if Um,
1: Uh, You might need to ditch the booze if your trip to the liquor store when you go up and you check out and the cashier says, looks like someone's having a party and it's really all for you. (laughs)
2: Uh, Been there, done that. Did you ever uh, did you ever try to cut them off like and say that you're having a party before they even ask? Uh,
1: Yes, absolutely. (laughs)
2: Listen, if you're listening and this is what you're doing. There's no judgment here, but <laughs> come on now. Uh Brett, thank you so much for your time today, man. Uh, I appreciate it. It's been great to visit with you.
1: Chris, I appreciate you. And uh it's been it's been awesome. Uh yeah, thank you very much for having me. All
2: right, brother. Thank you, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Absolutely. Thanks.
2: Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you to Brett for coming on the show. You're gonna help a lot of people today. A common theme in recovery is loneliness. Many of us start to feel alone in our addiction. We can reach a point where our drinking is drastically different from our peers and we start to isolate. We find ourselves steering clear of people so that we can drink the way we want to, and we may even lie to our loved ones just to protect our relationship with alcohol. As we begin to think about recovery, quitting drinking, abstaining, whatever you want to call it, that can also bring on loneliness too. We may feel isolated, especially this time of year where there are parties and gatherings all the time. Believe me, Ari, I get it. So many of us get it. And that's the point I wanna bring up. I've met so many people who at one point felt like they were completely alone in this, until they didn't. When we start to find people who are walking the same path as us, things shift. We suddenly have people who get it, who know exactly how the other person feels. Maybe the circumstances are different, but the feeling is the same. When we find these people, we can open up. We can learn from each other's experiences and we can support one another. Don't get me wrong. Many of us have families who are amazing supporters. My wife for one is the most amazing woman I know and she's always ready to be there for me. And I appreciate that so much. I also realize that no matter how much I try to explain my addiction to her, she's just not going to get it. And I'm glad for that. As we head into the holidays, I want to encourage you to reach out. There are all types of support groups, recovery programs, and online in-person communities. Do a little digging, and if you need that support, have the resources at the ready. We're the only ones that can do this, RE, but we don't have to do it alone. I love you guys.